This week on Wealth Track, leading financial journalist, the intelligent investor columnist Jason Zweig on market conditions and speculation. How should investors respond? What every investor always needs to remember is that your results depend far less on how the market behaves than they do on how you behave. Jason Zweig joins us this week on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. For financial historians and serious market observers, the current era has all the signs of a developing market bubble. Money is abundant. A wide range of financial assets have risen to record or near record levels. Enormous amounts of money are flowing into stocks, including new companies being offered as initial public offerings or IPOs, and their hybrid SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies formed to take unidentified private companies public. Private equity funds are flourishing. Bonds continue to attract huge sums. Commodity prices are rising. Demand for residential real estate is soaring and innovative products such as digital currencies are appreciating at breathtaking speed. Bullishness is increasing and speculation is rampant as a new growing community of online trading investors has emerged as a potent market moving force. Now the combination of all of these forces caused me to reach out to this week's guest. He is Jason Zweig, a leading financial journalist who since 2008 has written the widely read The Intelligent Investor column for the Wall Street Journal. That, of course, is the name of the investment classic written by Benjamin Graham, considered to be the father of value investing, as well as the co-author of Security Analysis, another classic written with David Dodd. Zweig has an intimate knowledge of the thinking of Graham because he edited a revised edition of The Intelligent Investor, which has a foreword written by Warren Buffett, who calls it by far the best book on investing ever written. Zweig is also the author of several books of his own, including Your Money and Your Brain, one of the first books to explore the neuroscience of investing, and also The Devil's Financial Dictionary, a satirical glossary of Wall Street. I began the interview by asking Zweig for his views of the current market climate. How speculative has it become? I think what I would say is that, as it's, is always the case, this is we're we're looking at more than one market. Right. Uh, you know, the U.S. stock market as a whole is uh, you know moderately overvalued by historical standards. But of course, there are areas of the U.S. stock market that have become extremely speculative. And um, there are numerous other financial assets um, that are sort of setting records for speculation. I mean, the most obvious one would be um, 
Dogecoin, which is a, mm -hmm. a digital currency that was designed as a, as a joke. And uh, as of uh, the time we're speaking, has a total market value uh, well in excess of $50 billion. It's bigger than Ford Motor Company. And if it were a stock, it would be among the 200 largest stocks in the United States. And this is a digital currency that was intended as a satire, right. has no useful purpose, and isn't used by anyone for anything other than trading like mad. So um, is there speculation in that area of the market? Absolutely. And, you know, Jason, that just strikes me as being absolutely insane. You're very calm and, you know, kind of, you know, thoughtful about this, but I'm thinking to myself, this is just crazy. Are there things like Dogecoin that you're saying to yourself as, you know, a, a you know, market historian and having covered the markets for, you know, for several decades that, uh, okay, here we go again. And, and does this remind you of any other periods? <laughs> uh, yes, it reminds me of several other periods. Um, I mean, I think we have to put it in scale. Yeah. Um, you know, Dogecoin, for example, in the area of $50 billion. I mean, on the one hand, that's a ton of money. On yes. the other hand, you know, the U.S. stock market is valued somewhere between 40 and $50 trillion. So a $50 billion bubble, if that's what it is, is relatively small in overall perspective. But the fact that people have staked $50 billion on something that by its own definition has no value should be really disturbing. And yes, it, it, it should remind people of 1999 and early 2000 when internet companies could increase their stock market value by saying that they would they were going to give away their products for free or um 1720 in the british south sea bubble when companies you know uh came public to clean toilets and had huge instant market value uh it, it's very disturbing for anybody with a long-term view these kind of extremes, do they affect the entire, you know, in this case, we're talking about the stock market, we're talking about, uh, you know, the cryptocurrency markets, but do, do they get into the psyche of investors? I think that's really the critical question, Consuelo. Mm -hmm. What every investor always needs to remember is that your results depend far less on how the market behaves than they do on how you behave. And another expression I like to use is it's not investments who make or lose money, it's investors. Right. And yes, um, you know, trends like SPACs or cryptocurrencies or any of the other um, fads that we've been seeing in the past year or so could contaminate the markets, but they don't have to contaminate your portfolio, your portfolio, if you choose not to let them taint your thinking. And that's a lot easier said than done, because when everybody around you is getting rich in a hurry, it can be hard to remember that the only reliable way to get rich is to do it slowly. But that's really the task of the investor, is to segregate yourself from the market's behavior and participate 
only to the extent that it serves your long-term best interest. And, you know, jumping on some hot trend just because it's hot is a great way to make money in the short term. But right. if history is any guide, it's an amazingly effective way to lose money in the long term. You know, one of the things that you've written a lot about in your intelligent investor column is, uh, is the GameStop phenomenon and uh, the online community uh, created uh, by Robinhood. And so when you say something like, you know, the best way to make you know, money long term to be a successful investor is, um, is to think as an investor, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the audience out there who might have owned GameStop um, or, you know, might have invested in Bitcoin, I, I, you know, a year ago, whatever, are saying that is such an old-fashioned idea, Jason's Zweig. And mm -hmm. it, there's a new reality. There's, there's a new technology. There are new market forces. You know, what do you say to those people who have actually been very successful short-term? There's no arguing with success, and there's right. no doubt that many people have made tons of money in an incredibly short period of time. But they've done it by taking enormous risks, and uh -huh. that's very important for people to keep in perspective. If you go to a casino, you go to Las Vegas, you could be an excellent card counter, you could make money at blackjack, mm -hmm. but most people don't play blackjack when they go to a casino. <laughs> they sit at the slot machines and the slot machines are designed to lose money for people. And that's, and that's exactly what they do in the long run. It's a negative sum game. And fast trading and speculating on financial assets that you don't understand and don't even pretend to understand is not investing. It's speculating or gambling. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. People want a little spice in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, a year of uh, social distancing and isolation during the pandemic left everybody bored out of their minds and restless and eager to find something to do that was fun. And there's nothing wrong with rolling the dice in the stock market as long as you don't think that what you're doing is investing. And as long right. as you don't let the gambling aspect contaminate your long-term portfolio. Let's talk a little bit about GameStop, for instance. And you know, one of the things that, of course, of course happened is that you know a specific individual kind of put GameStop into play. A guy named Keith Gill. He's an analyst. He did the homework himself, and uh, and created interest uh, through new technology, through online and online community. So he's, would you say that he's not the gambler, the speculator? He really, he's the one who did the homework. And then everybody else kind of jumped on his idea and took it, you know, that much further. Yes, absolutely. I mm -hmm. uh, There's no doubt that his analysis was very sophisticated. And, right. Um, and he, he not only uh, did a... An, an advanced job of analyzing the company, but he was absolutely correct. Um, you know, he he recognized that the stock was undervalued. He recognized that a short squeeze could be very effective if a group of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands or millions of small investors banded together, they could force 
hedge funds that had sold the stock short to have to cover those shorts, incur losses that would drive the stock price up explosively. Mm -hmm. And he was absolutely correct. And many of the people on Wall Street Bets, the online forum where he was active, understood because they also were sophisticated that his analysis was correct. And they did their own independent analysis and confirmed it. There's a lot of very sophisticated traders right. using these new social media and other online platforms. Not everybody is a naive trader, but by harnessing the power of traders who don't really understand the situation, who are just following along, what leaders can do is they can create these huge waves of momentum that carry literally millions of traders all in mm -hmm. the same direction. And the problem is the leaders do understand what they're doing and they deserve to make money for right. making a correct call. But if you're just following along and you don't understand the fundamentals, then when will you get out? So that's the key point, right? Is when do you get out? And is that where the kind of the average investor who gets, you know, onto this kind of gravy train of momentum, that's where they lose their money? Exactly. I mean, it just, you know, to continue the casino analogy that we were talking about a minute ago, I mean, if you sit down at a slot machine and you put your money in and the machine spins and you win, there's only one sensible thing to do, which is grab, grab all the money and leave the casino floor. Because if you continue, you will lose everything you just won and more. Right. And the challenge for individuals in a market like this, where there are so many, have been so many jackpots, is to know when to walk away. Right. So I, I guess I, I would differ with you in the analogy of the slot machines because we know that the casino is rigged against you as a mm -hmm. as a better. Yeah. And um, but in the market, if if I'm seeing somebody really smart, there are investors, professional investors out there who have you know done a pretty good job over the years. And so what's wrong with me? following their homework, then I can decide when to get out because it, it's not like a casino. It's really, it's somebody's done the homework. Yeah, that's an important distinction. I mean, gambling in a casino is a negative sum game. If you keep right. doing it, you're all but certain to lose money. The stock market is a positive sum game. If you invest and stay invested, you're highly likely to make money in the long run. But there is a key distinction here, which is that when online traders uh, talk about buying a stock, you need to make sure that you have equal access to the sell signal that you had to the buy signal. And if you're following him in the first place because you felt he was smarter than you, then you'd better be smart enough to get out on your own judgment at the end if he's not going to tell you when to do it. One of the things that you've told me in a previous conversation, and I'm quoting you, is that when people talk about smart money, it's money that knows its limitations. 
Can you explain that concept to us? The key, I think, to make good decisions as an investor is to know where to know where you have an advantage. And if you think your advantage is identifying smart people online who trade faster and earlier and um, with more sophisticated techniques than other people, the, the second question you should ask yourself is, why do I think I've identified them and nobody else has found them? Right. Um, and, you know, knowing your limitations means thinking through your decision process the, the way you would if someone was describing it to you like a third party. If I'm considering a particular investment approach, I should look at it as if someone else was telling me about it and saying, here's what I think I'm going to do. Does this make sense to you? And you should cultivate that habit of hearing it as if your ideas are being spoken to you by a stranger. And then you should assess whether they make sense in that context. And I think if somebody were to say to you, I'm going to copy what other people are doing on some website and I'm going to try to do it faster than everybody else, um, I don't think that would sound too appealing if somebody described that to you. Yeah. And Jason, let, let me ask you a couple of other questions. One is that there has been a decentralization of financial information. I mean, I, I remember when I started out on Wall Street that information was very tightly controlled and it, it really was only for, you know, kind of the wealthy few or the institutions that you got access to financial information. But now everyone has access. And there's a positive to that, right? You can compete with the pros and uh, figure out some really terrific investment opportunities. But the downside is that there's all that information out there. So that's good. Um, in the sense that any individual investor has access to pretty much the same information as the most sophisticated investors at the same time. It's bad in the sense that information isn't knowledge and knowledge isn't wisdom and information alone isn't enough to enable people to make a good decision. And you also need experience and judgment and if you're an investor, you need patience and skepticism and an independent frame of mind and above all, self-control. Mm -hmm. And the more information you have access to, the harder it often can be to exert your positive qualities because the information will swamp the better aspects of your own personality and will tend to make you act like everybody else. You were the editor of the most recent revised edition of Benjamin Graham's classic, The Intelligent Investor. And one of the things uh, that he differentiated between his types of investor is there's the defensive investor and then there's the enterprising investor, right? And so yeah. how important is it to recognize which you are and what most of us are? Yeah, it's a, it's a great distinction that Graham drew. And 
you know, it sounds as if he's talking about your risk tolerance, you know, defensive and enterprising. Yes. And you might think the defensive investor is going to be, you know, mostly in cash and bonds and, you know, maybe has 10% in stocks or something like that. And the enterprising investor is all chasing momentum and, and um, buying risky stocks or cryptocurrency or something. That's not what Graham means. He's talking about your your attitude and your predisposition toward putting effort into the task of investing. And if, if you love the intellectual challenge of investing, uh, the way a lot of people watching this particular esteemed television show probably do, uh-huh. uh, then you probably are enterprising. You enjoy the work and the research of investing. You like reading annual reports. You like studying a company's products and, you know, learning about its management. But there's nothing wrong with being defensive. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with saying, you know, I don't want to spend my Saturday evenings with a bunch of annual reports spread out on the kitchen table or, (laughs) or reading financial statements on my phone until two in the morning. Because As Warren Buffett does and, and yes. other great investors do. That's what right. they love. Right. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> every Saturday, Warren Buffett sits in his office and reads endless quantities of financial information. Mm-hmm. And that's how he wants to spend his Saturday mornings. Right. Not everybody wants to spend Saturday morning doing that. And if you don't, then you should regard yourself as a defensive investor, which means you should simplify and you should take as many decisions out of your investing plan as you possibly can. And the ultimate defensive approach is to buy, you know, a total stock market index fund right. and hold it for the rest of your life. Um, and you don't need to do, to do much more than that if you're a defensive investor. Um, an enterprising investor would find that boring and unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. And it's fine to be either. Where people get into problems is when they think they're enterprising and then it turns out that they're really defensive. And right. one way people find that out is their friends and their family tell them, oh, I wanted to go for a walk. And there you are, you know, reading financial statements and you realize you don't really want to be reading them. You want to be going for a walk. The other way people realize it is the stock market crashes and they suddenly realize they're not as good at this as they thought they were because the gains that they thought had been produced by their own analysis were actually just produced by a rising market. And um, they were kidding themselves that they were beating the market. They were just going along for the ride. Jason, so your advice to individual investors now at this particular time when we have uh, a lot of speculation in the financial markets in general, what's your advice to individual investors? What I would suggest that people do is um, focus as much as possible on their own goals Mm -hmm. and try to tune out what's happening in the markets around you. if you're young, you should have a bucket and it should be a big bucket for your long-term future. 
your 401k money, your IRAs if you have them, a Roth, uh, and maybe if you're well compensated, you can afford to have a taxable account where you invest for the long run. And that's money that you need to be there for you in the decades to come. And you know what happens with speculative assets in the next day or week or month or year is not going to matter very much to you 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Jason, the one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what should we all own some of in a portfolio? I think I'm going to just name something that everybody hates right now, which is cash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, after inflation, it's, you know, going to give you a negative return. Um, And before inflation, it's barely going to give you any return at all. But boy, it's really nice to have during a pandemic. It's really nice to have if something goes wrong with your job, your family, your health. And, you know, cash is the ultimate, um, it's the ultimate call option. It gives you the ability to take advantage when something goes wrong. Jason Zwag, always a pleasure to have you on Wealth Talk, and thank you so much for joining us. You always bring us such good advice. Consuelo, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's Action Point picks up on Jason Zwag's observation that a key characteristic of the real smart money is they know their limitations. So this week's Action Point is know your limitations. That means recognize what you know and equally important what you don't know about the markets and what you are investing in. Understand your financial limitations. Many professional investors have failed to recognize theirs and have suffered major losses as a result. And understand your psychological limitations as well. What kind of losses can you stomach will help you determine how much risk you want to assume. Knowing your limitations will help you become a more successful and happier investor. Well, next week on WealthTrack, a rare interview with great investor Jeremy Grantham. His views on the market and strategy recommendations. For those of you following us on social media, please continue to do so on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for being here. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.